What is the improv mindset? We'll talk about that and more on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact checking and corrections are encouraged. This episode is brought to you by Funwise Capital. Funwise Capital is a business lender matching platform. Avoid the mystery of one-sided deals and connect with Funwise to get the very best funding you can qualify for fast. You can apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get. It's easy. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. You did hear me correctly. I did say start or grow your business. If you don't have a business yet, but you got a solid business plan, they can help you get funding. Get the best funding you can qualify for. Their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months. Unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, and bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups like I already mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, it's really easy. Just go to apply.funwise.com slash minddog. That's apply.funwise.com slash minddog. Get money for your business now. Apply.funwise.com slash minddog. Welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. As usual, it's great to have you here, uh, as always, I guess. Uh, it's a Tuesday night, and you might be saying, well, what the hell's going on? It's Wednesday night. You're doing, you're doing the night show Wednesday nights only now. Something came up. Uh, my brother was in town and hung out with the owner of a very large venue that we used to play at. Uh, with the band quite a bit and I think the owner feels like obligated to my brother every time he sees him to book my band there even though <clears throat> it's not a gig we look forward to playing to but we had to take it it felt obligated to take it my guest tonight was uh, nice enough to accommodate moving the show to a Tuesday night from Wednesday night so we're here tonight we're going to talk about improv and here's what I know about improv or the improv mindset Nothing. I was on a improv show a year ago, uh, just about a year ago this month, uh, and it was murder. It was the most nerve-wracking experience I ever had, and I don't want to do it again necessarily. It was I was a very fearful, nervous, and they say, you know, just think yes. And my, my guests will know more about this than I do, obviously, because I know nothing. And he knows a lot about it because he's written a book about it. Uh, Keith Saltoyanis is a, a comedy writer, performer, and Guinness World Record holder who, uh, just before the pandemic, was uh, featured in an off-Broadway uh, show as Dan Aykroyd. And he's he's uh, written a book now. It's called The Improv Mindset, and he's here now. Let's 
Welcome, my man. Keith, hey. welcome to the Mind It's me, the guy who played Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd. That's, you know, that's a very cool thing. I love Aykroyd. Uh, me too. Always and, was a big fan. But you're too young to have actually experienced him in the moment, right? You, he, you know, so all you know of him is re, uh, reruns and tapes and videos and like that. Exactly. Never. I got to see him perform live as the Blues Brothers one time, which was great, but never saw him back in the day live on air, which must have been fantastic to see it, the Bassomatic it happening was, in the moment. It was groundbreaking at the time because there was nothing like that on television. And I was thinking the other night because I, I love radio. He had a bit called AMFM Radio. Are you familiar with it? Uh, and he would be doing both. Well, he would be the AMFM side of, of the radio station at the same time. I come from a radio station that had that going on. There was an AM side and an FM side, but they weren't the same DJ. <laughs> anyway, uh, a lot of prep work that went into that. Or, or were you was- trying to... It was for years before I even the sh- before the show even existed. I learned to play blues harmonica. I was a big Blues Brothers fan. I would do impressions of Ackroyd, and then I got that role, and I said, "Well, this is going to be easy." And then I took an even more deep dive and learned how he spoke and all of the things. But it really, like me and Ackroyd, kind of have a lot in common. I love ghosts. I love aliens. I love blues music. Same with him. I don't have webbed toes. That's something that's different. Do, do you love vodka? I used to like vodka. <laughs> I don't. Does he love vodka or does he love promoting his vodka? Is That's question. true. I think he loves promoting his vodka because he, he definitely likes talking about it. And, yeah. No but a what. lot of it is born in that paranormal, you know, the skulls, the crystal skulls Very thing, whatever. Much, yeah. You go down that. Uh, are you deep into that stuff? The ghost. It's hunting? it's fascinating to me. It's fascinating. Yeah. To, to like, is there a ghost? Is there not a ghost? I don't know. I, I would I've had agree some that it's fascinating. Yeah, uh, I spent a lot of years interviewing people in the paranormal world back when, when I started in radio, and uh, I would agree it's fascinating. I, I had a conversation about that today because I was interviewed on somebody else's show, and they were talking about, you know, because I'm a skeptic now, but I've been everything along the line from a hardcore skeptic to believer to cynic and everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think there's a difference between skepticism and cynicism, by the way. That's uh, true. So uh, I want to ask you before we talk about improv, sure. the well, and it's related to improv. The Guinness World, uh, World Record holder thing, 150 hours of doing improv. That is correct. That the is question correct. I have is how you stay awake for 150 hours. Never mind, stay fresh and on your toes because <laughs> improv is not something you can just fall asleep during. You have to be responsive. <laughs> yes. So there was there was a few of us doing the show and we would sleep in character on stage. Wow. So like, all right, mom, I'm going to sleep and then go to sleep and then wake up and continue while the scenes were still happening while we were asleep. OK, was, the previous uh, record was 70 hours and we just wanted to completely destroy it, which we did. Wow. You to- totally did that. A double oh, yeah. bit and a little bit more. Exactly. Um, so the Guinness Book people had to come there and witness this thing live, right? So you can either do that or you can send them a video. So we had two cameras filming two different videos and we sent them a video that was 150 hours long and said, here you go. And they had to go through the video to approve it. Uh, but it was approved. Guinness Interesting. World Record. Now, last year, uh, we did a pot-a-thon for a friend who had cancer fundraiser. It was 40 hours. 
40 continuous hours. And I didn't really sleep at all during the whole thing. Wow, 40 but hours. What a bunch of babies. I, I know. It, it seems weak now when I when I think about 150 hours. But there was uh, a lot of – it took a lot of time to recover from that. A lot of residual psychological damage. 150 hours, even though you slept a little bit. I'm not. You didn't get eight hours uh, ever. No. Probably a half hour at a time or an hour at a time or something yeah, like that. Yeah, if, if that. Yeah, definitely messed with my brain when I would, like – go down to the bathroom i'd be like okay look at remember the wall look at that and just remembering everything to like use it for the improv but it's like oh i'm not in a scene right now i can allow my brain to be relaxed but it wouldn't be because because you're doing improv for so many hours at it's yeah you're 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 on all cylinders and it took definitely a while to come down from that yeah i, I would imagine and now why why did you do it <laughs> was there a, a cause behind it were you raising awareness for something a fundraiser <laughs> it was because the previous record was 70 hours and my friend Rob O'Connor, who I put the show together with, we wanted to perform for a long time. A lot of shows at the t- at that time, if you wanted to do a show, you get 12 minutes or you get 15 minutes. You'd be lucky to get a half hour and you just are getting into it by then. So right. we were like, we want to do a show where we get to perform longer. And then it led to us through the idea and through as improvisers. Yes, Andy, and then just agreeing with each other and building off of it that led to a very long show. Interesting. So how many people were involved in the show? So uh, I don't remember the exact number, but for audience, which was pretty amazing, it was never for an audience. There was four people in the audience when we started. We were live streaming it. By the end of the week, there was standing room only. People were trying to push their way in seven days. Yeah. People were trying to push their way in through the door, and we had 40,000 people watching the live stream. Wow. It definitely grew. Yeah. And how long ago was it? Maybe 2015. I think that's okay. about right. Maybe All later right. than that. I don't know. Did it did it do anything for your career? Did it get I mean, was there any like because you would think something like that would be very well celebrated and, and you get a lot of attention for you. Did it? It did. It allowed me to talk about it on Mind Dog TV. <laughs> well, you made the big time. There we go. Good for you. Um now, uh, a year ago, I did an improv. I was challenged to do a PowerPoint improv where basically there were three three contestants all given PowerPoint slides that they hadn't seen for, and they were supposed to improv the presentation. I forget what the subject matter was, uh, but uh, I thought I could do it until <laughs> I could be cool doing it and until the moment came to do it, and then I felt like a total idiot. Uh, I know they say just think yes and, and all that kind of stuff, but you get a slide that you're not familiar with and you've got to look at it and kind of just talk about it like you do know what you're talking about. Very difficult. What What is the, exactly the improv mindset? Is it just saying yes to everything? Just yes? So not even that. Yeah, the improv mindset is getting in the mindset to where when you are in a situation into the unknown, you don't freeze up, you don't panic, you don't feel like a fool, that you can roll with the punches no matter what happens. And that's allowing us through different exercises and skills, retraining our brain because we're, we're told all the time, think about what you're going to say, overanalyze everything, really go over it in your head. But the improv mindset, like any improviser, allows us to just be free and present and respond when something comes our way and not have self-judgment 
which is okay. the main thing that shuts us now, down. The correct answer would be the mind, <laughs> improv mindset is the title of my book. Whoa, that's you the, have a book now? Yeah, that's well, amazing. Yes. Uh, it, it's available now uh, wherever yeah, books are sold. Not, uh, or, or you can go to... Whoa, I pulled it out of the screen. Wow, hey. that was amazing. You're a magician too. But you can go to uh, KeithSaltoyanis.com and get it there, which is probably the best place to, to order it from. Right? That's probably a good place. Yeah. Uh, so, so can can it be taught to? Did you have to, you know, train for years to feel comfortable in it? Because I mean, I did it once, but it scared me that I never want to do it again. It was <laughs> yeah. horrifying. <laughs> yeah, you have to see the freedom of it. So when I started, I was terrible, and then I started to get a little better, and then I'd take a summer off, and then I'd be terrible again. But once you have that moment of freedom. You're like, this is great. I got to get more of this. And yeah. it is something that everybody can learn. I don't know how many people I've taught through my school, Improv LA, but at least 2,000. Wow. And I've taught people all around the world in different companies. And I've seen every type of person, people confident, introverts, extroverts. I had someone once say, do I have to get on stage during this class? They just wanted to sit in their seat and everybody can learn it if you are open to it. If you're someone going, I can't do this and you give up, like any skill, you won't be able to learn it. Well, and it's intimidating. It's awful intimidating. And that's part of the the problem, especially when you get in with people who are good at it, if you're starting off. So I would think, and maybe I'm wrong about this, you answer this. If it's, I, My assumption is it's best to start off with people who have never done it before, like you've never done it before. No? It really depends on support. And that's the major thing. Uh, I've done improv shows where I specifically bring people into the audience on stage who have never done improv before. And I will do an hour show with them. And because of that, it's I'm supporting them. So if you're in a class with beginners or if it's a class in a group of experts, doesn't matter as long as they're supporting. It sounds like in this example, you were just like, go ahead, do it on your own. And you had no support, which made it scarier. Well, because it was online. It was like one of these type of things, StreamYard. And there were. And there was no reaction from the other guys. They would just, they asked questions after I was done with my presentation. But the idea was the PowerPoint presentation. You got six slides you've never seen before. You got eight minutes to do your presentation on it. And they'd pull up the slide. And you, you always had an out if you were panicking to say next slide. <laughs> but you can only, there's only eight slides or something like six slides, whatever it is. Uh, and so it was it was treacherous and they wouldn't react. And but there were questions afterwards, follow up questions about my presentation. I'm, I forget <laughs> what the subject was, but it was a difficult thing. It made me feel embarrassed. I, and I didn't want to promote it. I didn't want anybody to see it. We're all going to look at it now. But, the, <laughs> but here's the thing, like it's it's retraining, which is the improv mindset. What it's about is retraining our brain to think a different way. And if you're in a, in a supportive place, whether it's a class or learning these exercises on your own, then you're able to look beyond your self judgment and start to learn these skills. If you're just thrown in it and go, go ahead. If right. I said, Hey, right now do us do an improv scene. Go ahead. It, You'd go, well, what about, about what, where do it, I begin? Right, but it's, about, it's taking those steps and being in a safe space to like, Oh, I can fail. And, and seeing yourself failing and trying again and then going, Oh, it's just starting to make sense. And then feeling confident enough because just thrown in without any information and only to say, yes, that's not enough. That's not right. that's not enough at all. Well, yeah. And that's what I was told, that it's just about saying yes. And <laughs> so, and that seemed a little weird to me because there would be some times where I think saying no could be uh, could move things along within 
uh, an interaction anyway, just, you know, being a little bit uh, disagreeable or something, because that's naturally my style. But so is it, what, what is that with the, with the, oh, just say yes thing? Is that, so is that yeah. It? There's two versions. It's called in improv. Yes. And which I say is the second rule of improv. Cause it's least it's less important than the first rule, which is listening. Cause you can't do anything if you're not listening to what's right in front of you. But yes. And simply means that when something is said in improv, you fully agree to it. And then you add your own piece of information. Got the it. hardest thing is coming up with something from nothing, which sounds like is what you had to do. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't yeah. reacting or listening to anything. I was looking at a slide and saying, what am I supposed to say yeah. <laughs> well, about that, this? I guess it's like they want you to yes and off of the slide and then you react off of the slide. But so there's that and you're agreeing that this is real. So if someone starts an improv scene and it's like, hey, we're at the bar tonight, you wouldn't want to say no or not. We're at the movies because that wouldn't happen in real life. There's no way you would think you're at a bar, but then you are at the movies. So you treat it as if it's a real life situation. Yes, we're at the movies or we're at the bar and I'm going to order us two drinks on me. But like you said, here's an advanced version, which will get me thrown out of the improv community. The advanced yes and is us as the improvisers have to agree. Yes, we're at a bar, but us as characters do not have to agree. We can say, hey, we're at the bar. And I could say, why did you bring me here? You know that I'm an alcoholic and I'm trying to get over drinking, which I'm yes and in. Yes, we're at the bar. And I don't want to be here because I'm an alcoholic. So even though we're saying no, we're still in overall agreement as the performers. Right. So it's agreeing about the circumstances. But you don't have to say if someone's like, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Yes, please do. You can have a reaction and say no i please don't do that i have a dog at home and it's gonna poop all over the couch so it's an advanced version but it works because like you said it happens in real life people disagree and stuff still moves forward yeah uh now how long have you been teaching the classes i've been had improv la started in 2010 and i was teaching a little bit before that but officially began in 2010 wow uh now the classes are uh how many people per class is it like 10 20 people per class or is it larger than that yeah it depends it's around that around that size depending on uh when the class is and how many people sign up and i'm assuming maybe it's a bad assumption but because there are so many people who in business who feel like they acting comedy whatever all these kind of skills can help in business and not necessarily getting into it to be performers is that is is that a a good assumption to work under that is a good assumption for sure yes improv obviously we know from shows like whose line is it anyway or snl someone like dan Aykroyd who has a background in improvisation that it's great for comedy it's great for acting it's great for writing but these are skills that we all use every day, especially in business. We wake up and we don't have a script. We don't know what we're going to say. We might be doing a presentation and we have our memor- memorized script, which won't connect to anyone. And then someone asks a question, it throws us off. But it's more about speaking in the moment, knowing your subject matter. If you're going to presentation, that's very handy because you already know something about it, but not being thrown off if something unexpected happens. So it's about connecting with another person, collaborating together, listening to them because people just want to be heard and then building off of that instead of your script that you have, which won't connect to anyone. Right. The, uh, the thing that I, I, I'm interested in is that in any skill you learn, you can learn the skill, but Making it an unconscious, natural 
part of your personality is is uh, takes a mastery and it takes a long time of putting it in practice. Is there like a an expected time frame, a learning curve that you say it takes you know five years, whatever the number is, that you need to do it before you can incorporate it, so you don't have to think. What did I learn in class? What did Keith teach me in class about this situation? That kind of stuff where it just becomes natural. So it's very, yeah, you hit it right on the nose, right on the head, head of the nail, nose of the, the head nail. Nose. The, the nose. head nose. <laughs> so this very much, people can talk about a subject, but it doesn't mean they can do it unconsciously. And you want to get to the point where it's a new habit. Our habit now might be to overthink, but you want to get to the place where you don't have to overthink. So for me, it took seven years where I said, I'm really good at this. And then I realized I wasn't. And then 10 years, I was like, now I got it. And that's the point of the classes and the book is it really boils it down so everyone can learn much faster. So yeah. now I see in the school, someone might have started improv six months ago, and they're much farther along than they should be because we're just giving these shortcuts, direct information of like, how do you use these skills? How do you become your best self? It's not about competition. It's not being better than someone else in class or being worse than them or you're not good enough. It's use your own personality, which already exists in you, bring that out. And then once you have that, you don't have to worry about what to say because you already know all the answers. Interesting. Um, now, the format of the book, uh, is it anecdotal? Is it you know step-by-step, how to? I mean, what, what does it look like in terms of format and if yes yeah uh it looks yes, sort then. of like uh at the end it looks like this there's some uh, pages oh look there's yeah. a little thing there's words but it's both of those things it is it is here are the steps to do there's exercises you can practice at home and when by you yourself practice, by yourself because that's another big thing how do you learn improv if you don't have a group but that's the point of the book is you can learn it by yourself practice by yourself and then you can go and practice those skills in public i love practicing at coffee houses or grocery stores, because those clerks see so many people all day long, they're not going to remember if you come in and you are talking in an accent or changing your posture. They're not going to remember because they're just like on to the next customer. But it's practicing that in the world. So there's different exercises you can do to practice. There's real life scenarios that explain how to use some of the skills. But all of these things have anecdotes of how I use them in my own life. Like one time I was in Thailand and I lost my passport. And I had to leave the next day and I convinced the embassy to open on a day they were closed to make me a new passport so I can leave the country. And what did I use? Improv skills. If I just was getting angry and frustrated, it wouldn't work in an improv scene and it wouldn't work in that scenario. But I used the skills of listening, connecting with them, collaborating with them, humor. And they're like, all right, security guards like, OK, I'll open the door and I guess we'll learn how to use the passport machine together to give me a passport to leave. Is there a vocational hazard to any of this where you kind of you're always on and you you kind of lose yourself in in the multiple personalities that the, that the art form can uh, force upon you? I mean, multiple personalities exist, but I am aware of them. The probably the biggest issue is that I will be making a joke in a situation where people don't have a sense of humor and don't realize it's a joke. And I say a joke and they just look at me blankly and I'm like, oh, I'm just kidding. It's a joke. Oh, joke. That's my life. Yes. Humor. <laughs> that is a thing. People <laughs> never understand yeah. that I'm joking most of the time. And, and they look at me like, oh, what the hell is that? Yeah. Well, and that's something really... else that I've come across is, is working with some businesses that I see people and they're all about the numbers and they're all about the facts. And I think about it. These people 
maybe never laugh in their entire life. Because right. when do they have time? They just go to work and then come home. So it's being able to open up and play like we did when we were kids and have more fun as an adult. Have like laugh in fun and, and everything doesn't have to be like, what joke? We don't have time for joke. All right. Now, with the with the book, uh, how how deep is the book? Is it? it I mean, you can show the depth of it, but how, yeah, as far a, as a read, is it like a you know a, a day or a two day read? Can you you know get through it in a couple of days? I just saw an hour or two ago uh, some website where it was posted, and it said it was a five to six hour read. Wow! So I guess depends on your reading speed. Yeah. But really, it's not. It isn't like you said earlier. It isn't like cool. I read the book. I can talk about it. It's read the book and start doing these exercises. So there's a lot right. of points where you should pause, do the exercise, practice the exercise, come back to it. The That's good thing what... about the book compared to a class is you can reread. You don't have to go wait. I missed what you said. You can go back to it and keep reading it. Yeah. That's what I would think. I mean, it's uh, I, I'm thinking in terms because uh, I think I compare everything to music. But like if you're going for music lessons, you don't go through the entire Mel Bay book one right. uh, for guitar. You, you sit down, you go through one lesson at a time with the teacher and then take it home and practice it for a week. And then you come back the next week. Probably the best way to learn a skill. I think we don't have patience for that <laughs> i mean yes. we're, we're becoming less less and less patient as exactly uh, and improv is very much like it, everything that it, it has taught through improv and how it works is compared to jazz because jazz is improvisational and it's the yeah. same sort of thing like at, at, do you play guitar right yeah so like do you ever solo on stage and all the time all the time i hate playing solos too but yeah uh and and that <laughs> well, I hate uh, being forced. You know what? That's probably improv mindset would definitely help me with that because, uh, you know, I like to to know what I'm playing. And if I have to guess where notes are in, in the moment or, or just kind of write a uh, melody as a solo on, mm -hmm. on my own, it's, you know, there are some things that, like – certain types of music where you can just play a scale or something like that right. play within a scale but there are other times where you want to be more melodic and the notes you choose are important and i'm always right. nervous about choosing the wrong notes or the wrong technique and that kind of stuff yeah. i think your book might help me with that to be and honest. that is and that's the thing that stops people is they're afraid of making a mistake yep so then they never try it but if you try it you'll make a mistake and you go whoo i'm never going to make that mistake again right. and then you'll be a little bit better next time but it's the same thing yeah when you're you're improvising on stage and music you're looking at the other person a little nod communicating with them feeling how it goes very similar to improv yeah did did you ever ever get stuck in a quiet moment like improv and people are just looking at each other like where do we go from here <laughs> does that ever happen there's been times where it's, you're just you're confused and you're like wait what i wasn't listening which is why it's the number one <laughs> rule and yeah. you and you miss something but I say improv, even though it's made up, should look like something that's scripted and should look like real life. So in real life, if you didn't hear something, if you're confused, you can say, hold on a second. What are we talking about? Oh, that's right. I'm your baby and I'm driving the car because you have a cigarette that burnt your hands. Got it. And then you can continue the scene. Okay. Now, uh, when you do like stuff like the, uh, the Belushi play and you're Ackroyd in it, um, I'm assuming that was a script and you were learning lines and stuff, right? That was there room for improv in that or, or not? I mean, usually anything scripted I do, I will push the limits 
of how much I can improvise an ad lib. Obviously, I'm not going to change the meaning or the jokes that happen uh, and get to the main point. But it also depends. For this show, the writer and director said, hey, you do you. This is why you are cast. So in scenes with other people, usually the lines were exactly the same to not throw them off. But there was one line every night that I would make up a different thing every night. And it got to the point where audience and the rest of the cast was waiting. Like, what is he going to say tonight? Uh, which was always fun for me because I didn't know what I was going to say until I was out there. Right. The book came out two months ago. Yes. About, about two right. Ago. Yeah. Um, is this your first book? This is my first official book. Yep. Now, how how was the process of writing it? Was it an easy? Was it easier than you thought? Harder than you thought? No, any surprises? Painful. Painful. <laughs> I'm used to writing screenplays and sketch comedy, which has a different format on the page. You're writing very small down the middle for dialogue, and then this, as a nonfiction book, fills the whole page and has a lot of information in it. So it's less storytelling. When I was adding stories and anecdotes, those are great, but. It was it was tough to do that. And then I'd take a break and then I'd go back and reread stuff and go, oh, I've learned more than that. Let me start from page one and do a complete rewrite. So this is why it took so long. I had I had half of it done at the end of last year. And then around this time last year, I said, all right, I'm either going to keep this on my hard drive and no one's ever going to see it or I need to complete it right now so then i spent the rest of the year finishing that second half robert taylor comedy says he started reading the book two days ago and then he says uh get the book matt just uh, word association exercises and random word generator will sharpen your skills uh there you go there's a, a good review and endorsement right there robert uh, contributes to the program uh Thanks, weekly and he's a stand-up comedian now you do stand up as well i've done stand-up only a few times and i don't like it that much because i like playing either a character or off of someone so when i've done it i've done it as a character or it's more just like audience interaction which i which i like that more i would think uh it would help with crowd work and stuff oh the the uh improv mindset would be oh yeah invaluable for that kind of stuff right oh yeah it's it's again it's for stand-up no one wants to see you just up there going hey let me tell you my jokes here are my jokes as i have them written here they are here they are they want to feel like they're fresh in the moment right uh like a fun story with Dave Chappelle when he first saw stand-up. He just thought people were making it up. So he got on stage and just started making stuff up. And that's what people like to see. So if you treat your scripted work as if it's improvised and then can throw in some ad-libs about what's happening in the room, it feels fresh and doesn't feel just like a rehearsed piece. Because if you're going to see that, you might as well just watch TV. Interesting. Uh, yeah, you know, I unfortunately, most comedians starting out don't understand that just be, and this is true of acting. This is true of magicians, musicians, and everything. It's best when it feels like they are making up, making up on the spot. That's part of your job is to convince the audience. Uh, you know that whole uh, suspension of disbelief. It feels like it's naturally in the moment stuff. Mm-hmm. But everything is rehearsed, and a, a lot of people today, I don't think. Uh, understand that and they just think i can throw themselves into it well i could be funny in the moment it's not that easy and yeah. and so but improv would definitely help with that There's that whole the whole concept of it yeah uh, very much and that's I, uh recently i became a dedicated deadhead and and it, it, it's about time that i finally got on the bus of the grateful after, dead because after they're all dead yeah <laughs> yeah very few to watch now but what's great about them and their shows is it's always different every time. And it's different from like, I've never seen a concert, any, my favorite band I've never seen 14 times, but I've seen them 14 times because it's always different. And that's why 
people always come back year after year after year after so many years because they want to see something fresh happening in the moment, especially now everyone has social media and YouTube and everything where you can see these pre-recorded things, but to experience something live in the moment, that is key. Yeah, yeah. And I I totally admire people who can just run on a solo. And it, I'm not just talking about music. I'm talking people about who can just find the freedom to go in there and the fearlessness to go there and just the trust in self and others, the people that you're involved with, uh, to do that. It's just a really, I, you know, I've been doing it for 50 plus years and still have not achieved that, that level of freedom. And it would be great to be able to get there. Um, so coming back to the book just for one second and the writing part of it now, uh, because, and I know you're not like the typical author that I interview, which is a novelist, somebody's making up stories. This is a how to kind of book and and explanation of a craft, but there's, there's pantsers and plotters, somebody who sits down with a blank page and just starts typing or people who just kind of make notes and do all this detailed research and what you want. How, how is your process for doing this? Did you have one or was that all that like on the fly too? Or you're improv. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a little bit of both. Like uh, for when I'm writing uh, screenplays or TV scripts, it's, it's sort of the same thing. I'll have a general outline and I go, okay, I know I want to hit these points. Here's like the end. Here's the breaks in it at some point. And then when I sit down to write, then I'm improvising within those places. And the same thing with this book. I was like, here's the outline. Here's the things I want to cover. And I know I already have the information in my head from teaching it and performing and doing it for so long that then I was like, okay, this chapter is going to be on comedy. All right, let's start writing. And I would improvise on the page and without, yeah, no, no self judgment, just like I do when I'm improvising on stage. And I just let everything go out. Uh, The vomit draft, as it's called. And then I can go back in and fix it and edit it and make it look nice. That's but a, yeah, having I know. having self judgment and looking at a blank page, you're not going to get anything written. Funny you said the you the vomit trip because I hadn't heard that until about two weeks ago. It's the oh. first time I heard it in my life, and I've interviewed like fifteen hundred authors. I've never heard them say that before. Now I've heard it twice in two weeks. Wow, the uh, draft. <laughs> yes and, and it is it is kind of like that the process is like that but did you work with a, an editor or did you edit yourself did oh there was you an editor who looked it over which is amazing when you write something and you look at it you're like great it looks good and the editor's like i found 600 errors like what wow <laughs> yeah errors are one thing and i'm i'm fine with that but um the the part where i get defensive is when people want to change content or, or how you how it's presented. Do you have come up with any of those issues? Because that's different than the trust that it takes to be on stage with somebody in the moment for a performance that's happening now. This is something that is going to come out when whenever it comes out and you're, you're planning it. And then somebody says, no, I think you need to change, put this part in the back and this part in the front. Uh, any resistance or defensiveness on that? <laughs> I'm just from from other writing stuff and TV writing. I feel like I'm really good at taking notes from people who didn't write something and maybe feel like they need to have their their hand in all the pots. Uh, so it, it's again, it's their improv. I listen to them. I yes and them. I'll I'll use what they might say, but I feel like any note is just a suggestion of like maybe that will work. But if it doesn't, to make them feel heard to take part of those notes and then do them or don't. But really, yeah, a lot of notes people say, they just say it because they go like, hey, I'm smart, right? Is my advice good? And if you tell them and let them know and, and reaffirm like, yeah, no, you know what you're talking about. That's really all they want. 
they don't necessarily want the note that they're telling you. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, with the classes now, do you need to book? Can is the book enough, or do you, do you need a class? To book? I would think, and I, I'm not just uh, trying to sell stuff for you here, but I would think the class is a, a like a a mandatory follow up for the book, or at least part of it. Uh, is it? <laughs> I think the classes are the easiest thing, but it's also for some people the hardest thing. Like if you're not in Los Angeles, that's that's going to be well, one that's thing. That's what I'm going to follow up with. Do you yeah. do it online at all? Can you do it like in this format? Do you ever even bother doing that? So we do have some uh, classes like this, but we also have the first and only of its kind, which is an online on demand streaming class. It's similar to the celebrity master classes where you can watch an instructor teach all of these lessons, go through exercises with you. You can email them and contact them at any time, but it's all pre-recorded. And you can watch these videos and have exercises and homework and a workbook to do to work on those skills. But the fastest way, six weeks is, a, is an in-person class once a week will get you there because you're in the moment, you're in the weeds working with people. But some people are like, I don't want to get on stage. I don't want to do this around other people. So then their options are they either never learn it and they just will be stuck in their shell forever or they can do the streaming class or they can do the book and it will help them. Again, you have to do the work because there's not a teacher saying do it. Uh, but if you are dedicated enough and you go, okay, I'm going to do these exercises. I'm going to practice one like uh, Robert, I believe was his name. Oh, yeah, Robert uh, doing word association. That's great. You could practice that on your own at any time while you're driving and already work on freeing up your mind. Interesting. I think I do a lot of, of that. I, I, I'm really weird with that kind of stuff. I find myself talking in tongues sometimes. Because uh, <laughs> I, 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 I am by nature a daydreamer and I'm by nature a person who talks to himself, especially when there's nobody else around. I will have conversations with myself. Oh, yeah. my, my wife was home the other night. She said, what did you say? I, I think I was talking to myself. <laughs> wasn't important. Um, but, you know, so you have this YouTube channel now and you have stuff that some of it is skits type of uh, stuff. Uh, is that improv or is that are you working off a script that you write for that for those pieces? On, on those YouTube? are those are usually those are small ideas. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking I don't think anything on there was fully scripted. It's like here's the idea of the scene and then similar to Curb Your Enthusiasm. Here's the idea. We do the scene. We we do it again. Change some things. And then edit it together to make it look all nice and fancy as if it was scripted. Wow. Very, very cool. Very impressive. Because I, I, it seems natural and it doesn't seem like you ever do what I do, which is like lots of hemming and horn. And uh, uh, that, to me, I think, it's, it, does it help with that? It, with the what I'm doing right now, it's stuttering a little bit in between words and stuff. Because that's my hardest thing when interview stuff, interview style stuff is having that conversation and having what I want to say. I know what I want to say. What do I want to express? But finding the right words, and I'm hemming and whoring and stuttering and stumbling over words and stuff like that. That's my biggest challenge, I think, as applied to what I do. Does it help with that? It does, yeah. It, I feel like half of improv is getting out of your own way and getting out of judgment, because I feel like maybe when you hem and haw, you might go, oh, there I go again, hemming and hawing. I don't know how to do this, which isn't going to allow you to speak faster. That's going to slow you down. So half of it is that. And the other half is then learning the skills of like, here's how to do that. Uh, for me, through improv, I will talk, even when I'm teaching, I will be talking and talking and talking. And my mind is going, okay, what am I saying? I go to catch up to what I'm saying. I'm just, we'll start saying things and then maybe get to the point such as I'm doing here. <laughs> yes. 
and I think it all comes down to fear because it, it's fear of saying the wrong word or say, or not finding the right way, ways to express yourself. And that will, will slow you down. I think this all comes down to not maybe fear is too strong a word confidence having the confidence in yourself to express yourself with and not really worrying about it not being like you said not too judgmental uh were you the, always that was that always part of your personality growing up were you were you a super confident kid <laughs> no uh i used to in like preschool when i first went to school preschool and kindergarten i would wear costumes to school uh, and I was like, yeah, this is fun. I like wearing costumes at home and I pre- play pretend. <laughs> but you know what happens if you wear costumes at school? Bullies oh, yeah, go but... him. Yeah, Pick yeah. on him. Yeah. So then I became extremely introverted. And I still feel like I'm an introvert. And I'll close down and would never talk to anyone. Even in high school, friends would talk at me. And then through doing some improv in college, then I was like, oh, wow, this is how I used to be, to be free and to not worry about it so much. And you get to the point where... It's not saying everything right or not knowing what you're going to say or anything like that. It's being like, oh, if I messed up, okay, well, you know what I mean. And just owning it and going, hey, we're just humans. We don't have a script. We don't know what we're saying. So if I misspeak or I don't, I just like, oh, I'm self-aware. Like, yeah, you you get it. You know what I mean. And you make a joke about it. Um, so leading to that has led me into a place where I feel more confident. Basically, in any situation, even if it should be scary or the unknown, because nobody knows what's going on. And instead of treating it like, I better do this right, what is right? Right is just compared to someone else who's not you. So let me just do this in my own way through my own personality. Yeah. Uh, is there an audio book? There is not an audio book yet. Oh, yeah. But yeah. it's in the works. Yeah. Because, you know, part of the reason I started interviewing authors several years ago was I felt like the, reading was becoming a lost art. I mean, people just... And I, I still think that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that people quite often will wait until the audio book comes out. And it could be really frustrating. You sit down and you write a book that's meant to be read the old-fashioned way and interpreted like a, like you're writing it, uh, not like you're speaking it. And for an author, and again, I know you're not the typical author that I nonfiction or fiction authors, very few how-to or instructional uh, authors. Uh, but so from the audience, does, is that uh, a frustration for you that people might be just waiting for the audiobook? I mean, I, it seems like it should be. But to me, I'm like, here's the book. Here's the information. If you want to listen to it, well, you can't right now. So like do the online streaming class or, or do a class in person and then you can listen to it. Right. Uh, and I feel like the people who will read the book and want to read the book have read the book and will read the book and they're okay with that. But if it's like, this isn't, this, which is why there's different versions. Right. Uh, people learn differently. So it's like, you like to learn interactively with a class. That's an option. You want to watch a video. That's an option. You just want to read. That's an option. There's no excuse to not be able to learn it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and that's a, a good attitude to have. Uh, and, and, you know, but but the the point point I guess is uh, the being able to get people to actually read the work that you do and enjoy the work you do can slow it down. I, and I'm not trying to be a negative person about it, but it, for me it would be a real really frustrating thing. But do you consider yourself uh, the adding author to you, like uh, your title, your your credit? Like, do you call yourself an author now? And is there interest in continuing to write books? <laughs> 
I do. This uh, the Improv Mindset is now a best-selling book. So people have said oh. I have to call myself a best-selling author. And Ooh. then last week I finished my second book, so that's coming out now. I just can't stop writing and creating. That's that's my that's my problem. What's the second book on? What's the, the second book expands upon this even more exercises as more of a workbook about how to learn improv. Yeah, that's what I when I asked about. Uh you know the the format of the book that's what i was talking is it more anecdotal more workbook style you know workbook style is completely and i'm sure you know this it's it's different it's like put the book down now here's what you do put the book down now and do this right. and come back to it and i think those are great for actually you know, for any kind of skill that you need to learn whether it's manual or or verbal or any kind of skill right those kind of workbooks it's a whole different thing exactly. but it's interesting so because uh, the reason I'm asked about do you consider yourself an author now, most of the authors I talk to, uh, they get into the author experience, the book signings and all other kind of stuff and meet and greets and hearing from people and enjoying that process. Uh, is, does that describe you? Are you meeting people or are you hearing from people, getting a lot of reviews, uh, interacting with people, any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing from people, which is which is pretty fun. I might have done it differently because I already had the school going for so long where I'm interacting with people and meeting with people, talking about the subject, traveling the world, teaching people and performing and and doing everything about improv and comedy. So now the book is out. It's just more of the same. And then it's also like, oh, you also have a book. But I do hear from people from like Taiwan and Alaska and London and Canada. That's like, oh, I got your book. And they'll send a message, which is pretty fun. Because it, it, I haven't been able to travel there as quickly as my book is. Yeah. My book can be in Taiwan and then Anchorage in the same day. My mom used to say, those who can do and those who can't teach. But I, I never found that to be true because I always thought, listen, True Fire sponsors uh, my, my morning show. They're a guitar, online guitar teaching thing. They have some of the greatest players in the world who also happen to be great teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, do you enjoy teaching as much as performing? I feel like teaching is a performance because I have to be fully on. I have to be listening and I have to do all of the same things I'm doing with improv. So when I'm doing a three hour class, it feels like I'm doing a three hour improv show, but it feels like there are also two different things because performing, I can let go. I can say whatever while teaching. I'm juggling a lot of things at the same time. I also find it that the quote of those who can't do teach. I also have seen many people who can do, but can't teach. They're very good at it, but they have no idea how to explain it. They go, yeah, you just, you know, you do this. And like that, it's not helping me. There's so a few, I have run it. into a few of those, I have to admit. Uh, and in music especially where, um, because it comes so natural. Some people are talented. And mm -hmm. this is a, a something we argue about, not to a point where it gets to like politics or religion arguing or sports teams, any of that, but the idea of talent versus a skill mm -hmm. and that i do believe some people are just born i don't know if they you know, i don't believe in reincarnation or any of that kind of stuff but it sure seems like they've had a lifetime of experience at a very early age and we're seeing this more and more especially in the music field well like three-year-old kids are just shredding their instrument and it's just like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's unnatural right you didn't learn that you didn't right. practice that skill because in three and a half years I could not in 60 years I have right. not been able to master those skills <laughs> how the hell are you doing it in three years so I do think people are born with talent what's your take on that yeah I mean I, I this made me think of that I wonder if the best teachers are people who were not good at it and right. they had to learn in so many different ways 
And then I'm just speaking for myself that it's like, oh, here's here's all the ways that I tried to learn. And now I feel like competent at it. And I can teach you the shortcuts because I had to go through that. But someone who's really good. Yeah, like a three year old hasn't put in their 10,000 hours to be an expert yet. And they can just do it. No way. They can just tell you it's just something a feeling they have and they can't put it into words. Uh, I I don't know. Yeah, they're probably I don't know. I can't think of a teacher who's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just good at it. Here's how to do it. It's always seems like someone who's like, I used to be the worst and now I'm good. Yeah. What about physical? Are there any physical attributes that uh, lend themselves to this skill or or, or art form? Uh, Because in a lot of craft, a lot of there are things like having a a deep voice is good for radio. Uh, Having big hands is good for uh, long fingers, long slender fingers is good for piano and guitar and stuff like that. Are there physical attributes that lend them lend you themselves to you being a better improv artist? I mean, it helps to be physical so you can because you're just making things up. So to be able to be like, I'm going to sit in a chair, I'm going to lie down to change the scenario. But I have seen improv shows where someone is crippled from the neck down and it was a fantastic show. So really, I mean, the fun thing with improv is whatever you bring to the table, if you can strengthen that and work from there, anybody can do it. Are you a musician at all? Do you play anything? Just that blues harmonica like Dan Aykroyd. Oh, very cool. You actually le- did you play before you got the part or did you I did. I played before the part and then for the show we played with a blues band uh during the show and for some songs and it was great. That was my favorite part of the show cuz I got to jam with the blues band playing harmonica as Dan Aykroyd. Loved it. Oh, yeah, I, you know, that sounds like an amazing experience and who wouldn't love to do that? Uh um, but people talk about timing and, and cadence and rhythms within comedy. Is that is that an apl- applicable to um, improv, uh, where you have to be not necessarily conscious of it, but have a sense of rhythm and timing and all that kind of stuff? There is, and that's something that out of all of the ways I teach, of like here's the four things you need for a scene, or here's the six things that you can't teach timing. Um, but I think through the skills and learning it, you sort of get a sense of the timing because as we're working in classes and the teachers are giving examples or we're saying to end a scene now, you sort of get the vibe of it and then you sort of understand the timing because it isn't like every 10 seconds you can't, it's all feeling for timing, well, you, but you sort it, of this get This is it. what I'm curious about because in stand-up timing and, and knowing not to step on a joke and wait for the laughter and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you do that in improv? If you're performing in front of an audience, and maybe it's not improv comedy, maybe it's just, you know, you're improving a, a scene that is uh, in, in theater or something. Uh, do you wait for audience reactions? And how, can you plan on, like, because it seems to me if it's not scripted, it's hard to know when when we have to pause when we have to wait for the audience reaction to fill that space uh can you talk to me about that at all yeah that's that's one of my favorite things because yeah scripted or not you my number one rule listening like if you're fully listening and you're not afraid you have the confidence because a lot of people just keep talking and like (laughs) you're talking over the audience uh if they're reacting right now so it's like i did a sketch one time uh where it was it was like a punk band and it was called like the counters or something and it began like all right one two three four five six seven they were counting on the drumsticks and they went to 500 and the audience starts laughing like you're doing now then they stop no one's laughing because they go this is still going but then the laughter comes back and 
what I said during that sketch, the person I was doing it, I said, just do not panic. The audience is going to stop laughing at some point, but it'll come back and we're just going to ride those waves of laughter until this ends. And it was amazing to see how long it went and just the audience. At one uh, point, I'm feeling stop. that. I'm feeling that tomorrow night. I have a gig yeah. tomorrow night, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna. The first song, I'm gonna count off, and I'm gonna count <laughs> not maybe five hundred. Maybe I'll go up to a hundred. <laughs> yeah. And I always say that because yeah. when you're checking the microphone, doing a sound check, musicians always go checking one, two. Right. It's like that's as high as musicians can count. But yeah. I'd like to. It, you take it the other way. I. I to me, that's hysterical. <laughs> yeah. Like because they expect one, two, three, four. They right. expect the song to start. Yeah. By the time you get one, to eight, two, three, four, five, yeah. they're like what? <laughs> Eight, you would think the dancing yep. should start because yeah. that, for some reason, dancers count five, six, seven, eight. Right. And, and I don't know. I never understood that, too. And music, yeah, is like one, two, three, or one, two, three, four. Yeah. But uh, three, two, one. But yeah, just, and people would laugh usually on the tens. People would laugh. When it was 100, they'd laugh. 150, they'd laugh. But it's riding that wave, hearing it and going, okay, there's laughter now. I'll let them laugh. And then when that starts to settle down, I'll go into my next thing. And interesting. Uh, so to get the book again, I'm gonna. It, you, they can go to your website. It's in the description. By the way, um, YouTube is gonna take away if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, they're taking away our the ability to put the links in the description. But How tonight, I believe, I think we got one more week to be able to do this. So the link should be in the description. If not, it's go, scrolling across the bottom. Uh, Keith Salto Giannis. I almost said Giannis again, uh, dot com. Uh, they can get the book there. Now, are, is there anything else you want to let people know about your performances, anything like that that's coming up or a new season of class? I don't know. Are you doing it seasons or? There's uh, yeah, new classes every month. There's sketch writing classes. There's improv classes. There's voiceover classes, which you don't need. You got that great radio voice. But there's all sorts of classes. Just check it out if you want to learn something, if you want to better your life. Um, and I'm also starting to put together a magic act. That's what I'm working on. Now, oh, very I'm cool. Also, also a magician. So you I'm are. working on some magic as well. Yeah. Uh, what kind of magic is it? Is it close up? Is it uh, illusionist? Or what, what kind of stuff? I used to do mid size illusions, uh, but now this is going to be more of a close up show just to create. So here's the joke magicians, whenever you see a magic, this happens with, with sort of any performance, and you're performing on the street or performing in a club or for an audience. You'll do something and no one react. And then you go, come on, everybody clap. And you want the audience to clap. Make some noise, right? You probably have seen that, right? You, yes, yeah. all the time. Yeah, make some noise. But instead, mine is, I want everyone to boo me. <laughs> so I really, I want there to be, I'm doing a show and doing these card tricks and people go, boo, you're awful. That way, everyone who's not at the show will go, what is happening over there? And then they'll <laughs> want to see the show. <laughs> That's a cool thing. I Yeah, I usually tell people don't bother clapping because I'm not used to people showing applause. <laughs> In my business, people show their, uh, uh, their appreciation by singing along, dancing, moving, and all that stuff. We don't... If you're giving me this, I feel like I should be like at, at an old, old, old folks' home or something. Yeah, especially during music. This means there's no music happening. This yeah. means the, the song stopped and now I'm clapping, which would be more fun to have people dancing to the music you're making in the moment. Right. I I used to work, and this is a whole other story. I used to work for a a healing school, a school of energy healing. I call it a cult. But they would they would do this. Mm. 
they would do this. And I'm like, what the hell is that about the audience that for every performance? And they said they had somebody who was uh, deaf, who, who, who came from a school of deaf people. And she said that clapping breaks the energy field and this kind of keeps the energy oh. in <laughs> so, but it was a, a very weird thing you'd get done with a performance and you'd see 1200 people doing this that, yeah, like, well that you're there and it's quiet and then you look and then you see this yeah. <laughs> they're like no one's clapping oh they're all doing this okay <laughs> yeah yeah very strange stuff That's well nice. i wish you good luck with the book i'm gonna get the book robert told me to get the book i'm gonna get the book and, and right. thanks robert uh, and uh, we wish you uh, best of luck with everything, the YouTube channel and uh, and the classes and everything you're doing. Uh, thanks for coming and being part of the show, man. It's been yeah. an interesting talk. And uh, any before I let you go, advice for me to try it again or um, get over the fear that it that it created it because I have to admit. I'm terrified of, of doing it again because of such a bad experience. It's like anything. I think if you go and pet a dog and it bites you, you're going to be very reluctant mm -hmm. to pet another dog. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How, what, what do I do to, to put myself out there and not be afraid to get back into Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, if you do something and it's horrible, you're like, well, I never want to do this again. But it's, it's trying it in the most supportive and safe space you can, whether it's by yourself practicing it or with a group practicing it. Cause if you don't have that supportive space, uh, like I, I was on the wrestling team in high school for two weeks, my second week, one of the, like the, the gold medalist winners or whatever it is in high school, like I'll show you how to do that move and like did it so fast and hurt my shoulder. And I was like, I don't want to come back to this. Cause like I'm trying to learn and like, that's not supportive. Yeah. So then I, I was injured and couldn't come back. So it's like a physical injury versus an emotional injury. Uh, so doing it somewhere you, you can be supportive and cut off the self-judgment and just go, all right, I'm going to try this. I'm going to see what I can do. And then next time I'm going to come back and see if I can do it a little bit better. That would yeah, be the way to get back on. I appreciate that. You know, the guys who I was uh, doing it with, they thought they were being supportive and they, they were, I felt that they were trying to be supportive. It's just that whole way of uh, not having somebody else to, to bounce. So I've never had true improv, which is, uh, what I'm thinking of too improv is when another actor gives you something to work with and you're working with another human being working off of dry slides and here, here's this talk about it. It's like <laughs> that was foreign for me. So. Yeah. If you've never done it before, but it like something like that, it should be like, Oh, well, well, Henry, here we see there's a picture of a chicken. You love cooking chicken. What's your best way of cooking chicken? And then you would say, uh, uh well, frying it, of course. Uh, but, but it seems like you have done that before because that's exactly what they were doing with the slides and they were, were smooth as hell with it. And I was I was just like looking at the slides like, what the f what am I supposed to say about this? Yeah, I'm looking at uh, and I There had to be 30 seconds of silence of me just like, <laughs> you know, that sideways dog yeah, face. That's not, 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 I wouldn't say that's the best game for a beginner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, thank you for being here. Wish you great luck. And uh, when your next book comes out, come on back and let, let's talk about it. And we'll help, we'll help you promote that as well. Gladly. Thank Thanks for having me. Good luck at the show tomorrow. This has been a great chat. Thanks. All right. Good night. Bye for Bye. now. Keith Seltoyanis. I said it right. Seltoyanis. Uh, good stuff. The Improv Mindset. You can get it at uh, com or wherever you buy books. I think it's probably uh, it's it's everywhere. You can buy books. I hope you enjoyed this program. Love to know what you thought. Obviously, I know what Robert thinks. He's telling me to get the book, and I'm going to get the book. 
Um, and we'll talk about it probably on Thursday when Robert's here for his weekly segment. We'll probably talk a little bit about the book. So if you're interested, uh, join us then for Coffee with the Dog, 9 a.m. <clears throat> Tomorrow I have Frankie Ray, who is a uh, rock star uh, that you haven't probably heard of yet, but she will be soon. She's got a new single out, and uh, she's uh, it, she's killing with it and doing very well. She's the, the guest on Coffee with the Dog tomorrow morning. Jackie uh, Martling was supposed to be on. I'm not sure if he's going to be on or not. He, I think he forgot. I don't know. But Jackie may be on tomorrow as well. Uh, so that's the show for you tonight. I'd love to know what you think about it. Write to me at info at minddogtv.com. Info at minddogtv.com. Uh, so we'll see you tomorrow morning. Till then, don't forget to turn on your radio. Bye for now.
listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. 